Today's guest is Kelly Kilpatrick. She is a seasoned expert with over 30 years experience shaping college and career paths. She has a distinguished career at institutions like Duke University, the University of Notre Dame, and Kelly has made a lasting impact globally. She's armed with a master's of education and a bachelor's of business administration. She's a strong advocate for inclusivity. Kelly champions a sense of belonging in all aspects of life, drawing from her own experience. I love today's conversation where she shares her story and why belonging is so important to her. I've got a question for you. Who's the person you're being? Are you satisfied? It's okay. This is a judge-free zone, and it's exactly why I started the show. Welcome to Be The Person, a podcast for the brave and the curious who are ready to explore who they are fully created to be. I'm your host, Annie Randall, the adventurous one leading this investigative journey of transformation. By delving into topics and asking unexpected questions, we will discover the keys for unlocking our true potential and being our best selves today. You may be surprised by what you find when you let go of fear in order to discover the answers of becoming the person you were made to be. Welcome to Be The Person podcast. I'm so excited to share with you my friend today, Kelly Kapatrick, and she is going to talk to us about all things belonging. I think it's a universal thing that we all want, but sometimes can be hard to find. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I told you before as we were prepping for the podcast that it's an honor. And I just want to state it again that I think you're an amazing podcast host. And it truly is an honor uh, to be a guest here today. Well, likewise, we love having you and all the information that you're going to share with us. So let's just jump in. And I would love for you to tell the audience about you. What do you do today? And then how did you really get to where you're at? Yeah. So as I sit here today, I'm sitting in the great state of Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm founder and CEO of Kilpatrick College and Career. And I support clients in navigating their journey to land where they belong in a place where they will thrive and become the best version of themselves. Now, how I got here was three decades of higher, uh, I have spent three decades in higher education as a senior leader uh, responsible for the entire student journey, all the way from admissions through to alumni relations and everything in between. And so if it's one thing that I know, it's how to grow people uh, in a variety of different contexts, but especially in the higher education context. In that time period, Annie, not only was I, have I been sitting on college campuses, but I've also consulted with colleges and universities all throughout North America. 
and I've coached clients as I am doing today formally in an informal way to navigate the journey of both the college admissions um, process as well as the career process. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm just taking everything that I've been doing for the last three decades and bottling it in um, a business plan and making that available to clients who I just love serving. I help, I love helping folks to navigate um, a journey to find where they really belong. Belonging is really important to me in, in my coaching practice. It's one of my values. Yeah. I think it's so important. I think that's why it resonated so much with me too, because I feel the same at Orange Theory within our teams and our members. Mm -hmm. I really want people to feel that sense of belonging. Yeah. I've heard you talk about that. I've definitely heard you talk about that in your leadership. Yeah. And I love that you take all of your years of experience and higher education, leadership, and now help people just find what's right for them. Yeah. And when you do that, tell me a little bit more. I know I've heard you talk about really knowing your story helps you belong in more places. Can you explain that more? Yeah. So there is a direct correlation between your own growth and your feeling of belonging. A lot of times when we think we think about belonging, we think about, um, and it, and these are I'm not saying that these these things are not true or should not be present. But a lot of times when we think about belonging, we think about finding where I belong, the culture that fits me best, um, a culture that is synonymous to the culture that I have. And what's interesting about the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is that for so, so, so long, we have done just that. We've tried to find culture fit. And my experience over these so many years has landed me in a place where I really think that in order to have impact or create impact, in the organizations that we're a member of or the families that we assimilate with or the friend groups that we align with or, you know, the orange theory that we choose to go to every day for our mental and physical health and wellness, that it's also a good thing to look for culture ad. And a little, what I mean by that is We only grow our cultures and we only grow ourselves when we have experiences that are unlike experiences that we've had before. So culture ad is a really important part of the personal growth process that creates more, interestingly, creates more belonging. So... I have a lot of clients that when we talk about where you belong, if they fit within the context of what is typically looked at as a minority group, whether they're women, women in business, women in STEM, 
you know, Hispanic, African-American, LGBTQ+. I mean, there's a wide range of, of what we would refer to as minority groups. Part of one of the conversations that I want to have with them is um, what impact do you want to have in the world? Because if you want to affect change in a really positive way, then the place where you belong might be a place where there's not a lot of people that looks like you, but a place where your voice, there's a space for your voice to be heard where you can impact the people around you. Does that make sense? It does. And you know what? Honestly, I've never thought about it exactly like that because I think you're right. We think about culture. Where will I fit? Where will I feel most comfortable? Not in terms of where could I make the biggest impact as long as they have space for my voice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, and, and I'm not saying that everyone needs to do that Mm -hmm. because everyone is not comfortable with that kind of impact because that's really um changing beliefs that is really um broadening other people's value sets and those things are really deeply entrenched i know that personally been down this journey before myself yeah and um the best way to really affect Long-term sustainable and material change when you're dealing with like systemic biases or systemic fill-in-the-blank is to, it's a long process, first of all, but it's to um, be in a place where it doesn't naturally look like you fit in the traditional sense. Um, So when, and the reason why I know this is very deeply personal. My my story is very deeply personal. And the first question you asked me, who am I? And I really just told you like, I didn't tell you who I was. I told you what I do. Yeah. Right. Um, The person that I am the who am I part of your question is I'm one who um, really has lived belonging and I've, I've kind of walked the walk and not really intentionally, just kind of unintentionally. Um, and I can, I can share a story if it would be helpful. Yeah, we would love that. I think it's always helpful for stories, especially when they're personal. Yeah. So this one's deeply personal. Many years ago, I stepped on a plane. I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I I born and raised in Texas. So I stepped on a plane in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, I was going home for a weekend for what looked like an otherwise just like routine visit to see my mom and dad. I was older. Uh, I was in my you know late twenties, early thirties. So I wasn't a teenager. I wasn't a young young adult. And I was stepping on a plane to go home to, like I said, what looked like an otherwise routine visit to share with my parents that the man that I had fallen in love with was a black man. Now, 
in today's context, that's not as unique as it was more than 30 years ago. That was a, this was a long time ago. And um, I knew how my parents felt about the issue because it had been shared with me as a child growing up, as we all do in our homes. We just share with our children what our values are. And, and I, I had a lot of fear around that fear of rejection, fear of a lot of things around that visit. And, you know, that visit actually did not go as hoped, but it did go as expected. And it was a very difficult weekend. Um, and I don't, the things that I heard, the things that I saw uh, in that weekend uh, are not things that I held against my parents. Like my, they were very race, racially based. It, that particular week, that weekend in particular was a, 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 a weekend full of like microaggressions and just things that weren't comfortable. Yeah. And I don't, I never questioned whether or not my parents loved me because I knew that they did. Uh, and nor did I blame my parents for, I mean, they weren't intentionally racist. That They were just a byproduct of a world in which they were raised. They were born in the Great Depression in the 1930s, and they were a byproduct of the world in which they were raised. And I was presenting them with something that I knew was a, was not part of our family values. Not that they didn't value diversity. It's different when it's your child falling in love with another human being. It just is. And that's that's just a fact. And um, so, you know, fast forward five years later, and my then boyfriend, his name is Russ, we'll give him a name. My then boyfriend um, became my husband. And here we are. We've been married. We've been together for 31 years. We, many people didn't think that it would last. We have been married for 26 years and we have two, um, together we have two beautiful biracial daughters who I have, I believe and have taught them that they have a responsibility in the world to help affect change. And um, so my personal journey of belonging, I mean, come on, let's give my parents, I mean, to me that a lot of people are like, gosh, Kelly, you guys have really done some, some really important work in progressing um, interracial marriage and issues of belonging and acceptance and those kinds of things. And it is true, we have. But the real heroes of this story are my mom and dad. Um, people who, um, were they not forced um, to really lean in and be willing to make some changes would have never changed. Uh, but they did. They 
they, it didn't start out so well, but it sure did end really well. I love that. So your parents, you go home that weekend, they're very resistant to this new idea. And take us through a little bit of that journey on, I know in the end they love Ross, but tell me a little bit more about how did you get there? Because I'm guessing it wasn't a super smooth, easy path. It wasn't a super smooth, easy path. And my husband, Russ, is the one that taught me a lot about this. I mean, when you're when you are born in the world as a minority, and at that time when you're born in the world as a black man, and you see, you know, here's the white restrooms, here's the black restroom. I get chills when I think about this because this is we're not that many years apart, but this is not a world that I grew up in. Yeah. I didn't see those signs. He's only uh I'm looking up at the ceiling like there's an answer up there. I'm thinking, this is my thinking face. He is, I think, six years older than me. And he he remembers, you know, these the 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 white water fountain and the black water fountain. And I've been to South Africa uh, to the Nelson Mandela, uh, both his birthplace and also he has a museum there. And I've seen all this too, you know, in a in a global context. And um, Russ taught me, again, I think he's another hero in the story. My parents are a big hero and he's a big hero. He taught me that the things that, that my parents were um, responding to didn't have anything to do with him as a person. And it had to do with, and he, so he never took any of it personally. And that taught me uh, to, even though it felt deeply personal, it taught me to not take those things personally as well. And uh, that was a great growth opportunity for me because my parents were concerned about things that, Fast forward to today, and I think Russ and I even talked about this probably a couple of weeks ago with our children. We talk about these things all the time with our kids mm-hmm. as they're trying to choose mates and, you know, because not everybody thinks the way that we think. Not everybody sees the world the, the way that we see the world in a very open-minded minded way in certain circumstances instead of very closed. And so in our journey, that step number one was we never took it personally. We knew it wasn't about us. Um, Russ knew that their responses were about uh, things that they had been taught. And I knew that their responses to me were basically out of love. They just wanted the best for me and didn't want me to struggle. Isn't that every parent's desire for their children, right? You You just want the best for your kids and you don't want them to struggle. And I'll be honest, Annie, in some circums, in some instances, they were not wrong to be concerned. Yeah. They were not wrong to be concerned. And another thing that I learned, so don't take it personally, right? And another thing that I learned is that the energy you give to the world is the energy that you get back from the world. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. My mother... Uh, was very concerned that 
even just walking down the street, that people would, uh, through looking at us or staring at us or things like that, that they would be rejecting us, that we would get, that I we would get rejected socially, that I, my career would be impacted negatively, um, just because people have biases and people make decisions through those kinds of lenses, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And all those things are true. But Russ and I chose to take the perspective that when people are looking at us, and they have, but we think that they're looking at us because we're a really cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> and we only feel rejected if we allow rejection to be the thing that is being sent our way. Yeah. One time, one time that we can recall, and maybe we're just too dumb to really know if it happened again. But only one time can either one of us recall very obvious um, rejection when we walked in the room. And interestingly enough, Annie, it was on our honeymoon. Wow. Yeah. We, yes, we, we, yeah. Sorry. In 31 years, though, you think of rejection once based on color of really you seeing it. Versus if you would have thought that and just allowed that perspective in, how much that would have probably affected you. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in this one instance, in, in this one instance, it was both of us felt it. We knew it. You know, sometimes, you know, one of us will say, um, I wonder if they responded because of, you know, I'm a black man, or if I wonder if they responded because I'm a white woman, because we've both been minority and majority environments, whether it's me going to church with him and his family, or, I mean, him going to me in almost every environment that I, that I am in. Um, he always says he's the only speck in the buttermilk. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is that I don't even like, like I sometimes feel when I'm in majority environments, meaning in all a uh, majority white environment that I feel like I'm in a different place because my entire world, when I come home at night, like my children are brown and my husband is black and I'm the only white person. I, my youngest daughter and I were talking about this the other night. She came into the bed because she's, she's dating someone who is a lovely young man. We just like him a lot. And, um, she said, she said, I've never realized mom that like when we're in our house, like you're the only white person here. <laughs> and so we, do we see color? Absolutely. If anyone ever says they don't see color, they're lying because are they're not socially, they're not aware. They're not self-aware because the truth of the matter is, is that we see those things. And I think we should acknowledge that we see those things. And, but we become accustomed to certain things. And I, there is something to the fact that if I walk in an environment and there's not some form of color in, among the people, then it stands out to me because that's what I see at home every night when I, when I'm, when I go home. I'm the only one that's Caucasian in my, in my household. Yeah. 
I never have thought about that when I see your family together, but I could see that. Yeah. How do you think, you know, I think it sounds so, um, I give a lot of credit to Russ when he says, you know, it's just a matter of perspective or how they grew up. Don't take it personal because that has to feel like rejection. How did the both of you grow in that? Because it seems like, it seems to me like it would be a really hard thing and you've done it really well, both of you. Well, and well, thank, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. We've worked really hard. I mean, it's, we've worked really hard to be um, a couple that people just see as a couple, right? You've heard some people say before they they'll have a, a, a friend that is not of their same race. And let's just say that that friend is a black friend just for purposes of this conversation, because there's more, um, there's, there's, there are more ethnicities and races than just African-American that deal with some of the same things that I'm talking about today. But let's say, you know, you've got a, a, a group of, of white boys that have one of their friend, people in their friend group as a black boy and they look at him and they say, oh, you're not black though, right? And part of what we've kind of always done is to say, no, I am. And that's like, that's the point. Like, that's the point. Yeah. And so if people look at us and say, yeah, you're not, you know, you're just Russ and Kelly. You're not an interracial couple or you're not, you know, and we're like, no, we are. And, and like, that's the point. Like, we want folks to recognize that there, and we have to recognize it ourselves. There are differences. There's, I mean, Russ and I on so many dimensions that people would say that marriages don't work are, are different in all, in many of those ways. The most important thing that we have in common are our values, are yeah. our values in really important, our, our, our alignment on how you raise children, um, our values with money, our values with, um, uh, Gosh, I, I I could go down and down and down the list, right? Yeah. But we were raised different religions. We were raised. Uh, he did. He. I have multiple college degrees. He doesn't have a single college degree. Um, again, a byproduct of the environment. We've talked about that a lot. Like, how did I end up with two degrees? And he he's smart. He's really smart, but didn't have the the parenting in the home that I had and didn't have the opportunity on the other side to navigate it successfully. And so that makes a big difference in, in your journey. And for some couples, these things, different socioeconomic backgrounds, when we were kids growing up, just, I mean, different, 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 different. And so um, I think what makes us successful I think, first of all, if I was to ask Russ this question, I think we like being different. Like, I think we really, that that energizes us. We like being different from each other because we both like to grow. We don't need the same, right? We don't, we don't need to be that we have completely different interests. Um, and in some things, as many couples do, but when it comes to um, like creating a culture of belonging, like in our family system, which I think is where, no, I don't think I know 
which is where creating belonging in any other context can also apply. We've always, we've always um, been, been eager to grow. And um, that's actually an acronym that I use when I talk about belonging, that um, the G and grow stands for um, go where there is no path. Like pave a different path, be, be a trailblazer, like be willing to go where there is no path. That's the culture add, not culture fit. Yeah. Concept. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at my notes, by the way, I have this acronym on my wall. Um, the second part of grow the R is reframe your thoughts and expressions. So reframing your thoughts and expressions is there's story behind that, like little Ruby Bridges was the the little girl who um, was a part of integration back in the 60s. Yeah. And on the morning that she, there's a picture of her in the internet where she's going to school, this little cute little black girl carrying her in her little cute little dress, carrying her little lunchbox. And she on either side of her have um, white security guards. And that morning, imagine being a parent, imagine sitting at the breakfast table. And what do you say to your child when you know that they're going to be escorted to school with security guards in a school where there is no other person inside that building that looks like you? Like, can you imagine how terrifying that is for a parent? Everybody talks about how courageous Ruby Bridges is, but I, I mean, those parents, poof, her mama and her daddy. And you know what they said to her that morning at the breakfast table? So the story is told. They didn't say, you watch out for those kids or don't let those kids hurt you. Here's what they said. Ruby, you be good and you learn everything you can today. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a reframing of thoughts. Right? Yeah. That's a reframing of thoughts. The O in grow is open your heart. Open your heart. Instead of having a closed heart and we have an open heart. And again, um, and sometimes an open heart is very quiet. An open heart is a listening heart. A closed heart is a speaking heart, is a telling heart. Mm -hmm. So um, open your heart and then the W and grow is welcome change. And many of us just do not like change. Yeah. So part of what Russ and I have As I look back, and this was, Annie, this was not intentional. This is just, this happened over time. And I think it was just because of the people that our parents had grown us into. Mm -hmm. Um, That we have just always, always, always leaned into growth. Yeah, I can see that in you now. And when you tell me your past story, it seems that that's always been the case. This episode is brought to you by my favorite gut health products. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for up to 40% off your first order. But so much of our health is really dependent on our gut health and the American diet depletes a lot of what we need. This system really helps weed out the bad bacteria and then seed and feed the good bacteria. This helps so much. I've noticed a difference in better sleep more energy and better skin. And I'm excited to share it with you today.
So now you have your two beautiful girls that are in their 20s. How do you help them really create, like you've created this in your family and now they go out into the world. How do you teach them that attitude to include everyone? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing I would tell you is that we don't necessarily teach our children to include everyone because there are some people we teach, we do teach them to be very discerning. Because there are some people that don't have good intentions. Yeah. Okay. But we, but so I, and I, and I don't mean to do anything other than, I just want to be really clear that I'm not all about, let's all grab hands and sing Kumbaya and we're just going to love each other because that's, that's not possible. Um, And there are some people that are just intentionally not aligned. They're just not aligned with good intentions. And so to be very discerning and be very careful and be very somewhat guarded. But the the most important thing that I think that we teach our children about belonging uh, in the world is that sometimes or many times the things that they're experiencing are or that someone is saying to them that feels like it's rejection or that might feel like it's racism is actually an opportunity to engage with them in a way that they've never had a positive engagement and begin to impact change. So it's about perspective. Yeah. When Taylor, that's my oldest, when Taylor was young, I distinctly remember that the time that when these teachings started, she wrote about it actually in her college essay where she was uh, taking gymnastics. You know, all of us have kids. They start when they're you know, six months old. <laughs> That's an exaggeration, but they're little, the kids are little and we had her in gymnastics. And so imagine this big gym and all these kids are doing all kinds of things, but our little kids are young enough where they're standing in line and they're following the leader, following the teacher and you have a line leader and they all get their turn. And the parents are sitting way up in what looks like the rafters to the kids. Cause it's a big old gym and they're little and the parents are sitting up there in the observation window. And so I see they're, they're standing in a line and they're about to do whatever technical skill is next. And the little girl in front of Taylor turns around and says something to her and immediately, no, let me tell you, let me tell you the story again. Um, they're standing in line and then Taylor looks up at me and I look down at her. We wave at each other because I just got there from work. I've always been a working mom um, outside the house. All moms work. I was working outside the house. I took the easy route. <laughs> And um, she looks up at me. She saw me get there from work. She looks up at me. She waves at me. I wave back. And the little girl in front of her turns around and looks at her and says something. And the next thing that we and the, the mom and I next to me, the mom, me and the mom next to me see just Taylor start sobbing. And the little mom looked at me and it was like, is that your, and I said, that's my daughter. She's like, is she okay? Like, did my daughter do something? I'm like, "Mm, your daughter didn't do anything. She probably just asked her, is she, who, who she is? Who's that person she's uh, waving to? Taylor probably told her it was her mom. And your daughter probably asked her if she adopted. And that hurt Taylor's feelings. And the mother said, I am so sorry. And I'm like, don't be sorry. I would ask the same question if I were in your child's shoes. 
like they don't have they don't have and in the in the town we were living in at the time that was a normal thing like families would go to another country they would adopt a child bring them back and so the children would see these nuclear families that look the mom and the dad that look like each other and the child didn't look like them and so all of a sudden you know they understand the whole concept of adoption and so taylor and that's exactly what happened <laughs> the little girl that asked her kids adopted and it just hurt Taylor because she's like, no, that's my mom. And um, we now use it kind of as a joke whenever, you know, I often talk about how I'm adopted in this family because I'm the only one that doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's another, that's kind of another, another thing. Sometimes you just kind of have to bring humor to a situation. And in that instance, when the mom was just profusely apologetic, I'm like, there is nothing to be apologetic about. That is a normal reaction. Yeah. And so I think we just have to stop taking it so seriously. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Like, and that's one of the things that we teach our children. You asked about, you know, how do we, how do, how do we send them into the world? That's kind of part of it. Right. It, let's not take it so seriously. And, you know, with, um, I just think that that's really important. Let's not take it so seriously because then when we don't, it opens up the opportunity for conversation and change. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I know we focus a lot right now on families. Let's talk a little bit about maybe groups or workplaces because I think belonging definitely happens there. I know yes. at my career at US Bank, that was a big thing. And then also, I think because of my, my story probably came more from loneliness. Yeah. Um, I really struggled with a sense of belonging because I always felt lonely. But that wasn't because I didn't have friends or a sense of community. It was because I wasn't comfortable showing up as me. The person, when we talked about stories at the beginning, it took me yeah. a long time to write and figure out. So I think it's always been on my heart to give, it's the worst feeling in the world to be yeah, in a situation where you don't feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. um, so for anyone that walks in our doors, whether it's employees or members, and we're not perfect, but my heart mm -hmm. is to create a culture of belonging. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you've seen that done well, because I know you've Obviously, you've done it personally. You've done it in the business world. You help people find their place. Any tips on maybe if we have people that own businesses or manage people or um, they're leaders of groups, how do you create that sense of belonging for people? You know what I just heard you say, Annie, that I want to I pause and call out was I heard you say, I didn't feel like I could show up as myself. Yeah. That, and that, I think this is a, I think that this is a real problem in a lot of, a lot of organizations where it is culture fit and not culture ad. I mean, it is culture fit. Like, like I couldn't show up as me because I wasn't like them. Yeah. Okay. And so, this, this is first of all, really hard to do because it is easier 
to create a culture of people that are very similar to each other. Yeah. Than it is to have a diverse environment and ensure that everyone who is in that environment feels valued and has a voice that is authentically and genuinely heard and can impact. And so step number one, and there's, there's legislation in this country, simple things that we don't realize have huge impact. Have you heard of the Crown Act? I have not. The Crown Act, I want you and your audience to do a little bit of research on the Crown Act. The Crown Act, now mind you, we have to have legislation around this, states that if I am someone whose hair is of a different type, that I am protected by showing up in the workplace with my hair and my kind of hairstyles that are different than the majority. The Crown Act just recently passed in Texas like 60 days ago. Wow. So it's like not being discriminated against because of your hair. So we we so in our day we would talk about when we were younger, professionally, we would talk about how you have to dress mm-hmm. and, you know, how you, you know, what are those finer details? You dress like the position that you're aspiring to get to. Uh, and if and if you're aspiring to get to a certain position and all of those positions are held or the majority of those positions are held by, you know, for folks of a certain ethnicity, folks of a certain gender, folks that all dress, if they all look alike. And if I'm sitting at my desk and I have, I'm celebrating, you know, I have brighter colors because that's part of my culture maybe, or I might have dreadlocks because that's part, very neatly designed, um, but that's part of my culture, then I might be discriminated against just because of some of those things because I don't look like that. Those rules of engagement have to be altered. Yeah. Right. Like we have to change our thinking about this inside of, of corporations. These kinds of rules of engagement are standing in the way of belonging and advancement. So that's number one. Number two is uh, create safe spaces where Um, authentic conversations can be had. And when someone says, I don't feel safe, believe them. There's a lot of times when people, just like yourself, will not say, I don't feel safe to show up as myself. Uh, There's something in that. Like we have to drill that. What, What is it about this environment that makes you feel like you can't show up as your authentic self? We need to change that. You don't change you to adapt to the environment. We need to change. Why? We need to ask a question. Why do you not feel like you can show up as yourself? Why? Mm-hmm. What is that about? And, and if we have the conversations as leaders, we have to be willing to do something about the things that we learn. Yeah, that's don't so true. Have the, don't have the conversations if it is you're trying to tick a box. Yeah. Do not have those conversations if you're trying to tick a box. Not for, not for minority populations or for belonging. Because you will lose people if you don't, if you're not willing to make authentic, authentic uh, systemic change. 
Yeah. You know, when, when Black Lives Matter came around with the whole George Floyd incident and all of many other things that happened around, around that time, it wasn't just about George Floyd. There was a rush to try to um, create diversity groups and um, committees that were going to get at the heart of what were we not doing in our organizations because we were going to change. And we actually, jobs were being created for directors of diversity. And can I tell you, it hasn't been that long ago since all that happened. And now diversity directors are losing their jobs because they're not, it was window dressing. Yeah. Instead of from the heart to change. It wasn't, it was window dressing. And um, there are even yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this country that is um, somewhat counterintuitive to and in, in reversing some of the progress that we had made. But all that tells you is that it was um, empty. Yeah, and I think we both have a heart for truly making places that people belong Absolutely. because that. When that happens, you don't need the regulation as much. You don't need the uh, director. And granted, we're small organizations. Like those have their place and other things. But when you have people who have the heart to love people, regardless of color or what they look like or how they dress, just for who they are and what they bring to the world, I think that brings authentic change. You know, any as long as I've, I've, you know, knowing you the way that I do, the things that you just said are so authentic. Like you embody all of that. You embody all of that, um, and that is so you. Yeah, and I think just like you, it comes from that place of past experience. Although mine wasn't color related, and yours is. Like we have the same connection on belonging. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, it just says my lived experiences are through race and gender, gender in the corporate context and race in, in the personal and corporate context. And, um, and I've also been of service inside of higher education institutions to like groups of students that identify with LGBTQ communities and seeing that journey and that struggle uh, but especially, you know, women in business that in the corporate cultures that are very male dominated are trying to really find their rightful way. And so I've seen it through a lot of those lenses professionally in supporting folks through their own journeys. But yes, my own story is very, um, very race based. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing so much of your story and just valuable information. I love this conversation. As we wrap up, anything on your heart that you would like to share? Yeah, so, you know, story is story story is a storytelling is a lot of what makes us all of our stories are unique. There's only one Kelly Kilpatrick. And as I work with clients, um, a real core part of what I'm encouraging them to do is to own 
their unique story. Instead of trying to fit into like a job description or fit into, you know, name the box, the job description, the college, what the college community is looking for that fit into the box. I really, I really empower each person that's listening to own their unique story and start there first so that they can manage a career or they can manage a college experience that's right for them. And that's how, I think that's how we create optimal success is leading with who am I? What is my story? Not just Kelly Kilpatrick, the CEO, founder and CEO of the, not the what, what do I do? But, but who am I through my story and refine that and be the, be the captain of that story. Don't let someone else write that story. You don't have to live by someone else's rules of engagement, but if you're going to change the rules of engagement, just do it very gently so that you can impact long-term change. That's what I would like to leave everybody with. That is so good. I wish you would have been my coach when I was 20. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear story and gifts and uniquenesses. It took me a long, long time to figure Mm -hmm. that out. Mm -hmm. And I think you will impact and are impacting Mm -hmm. so many people and helping them realize. And instead of just fitting into a box, they go out and give their unique gifts and talents to the world. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Annie, for having me. I so appreciate you uh, and your audience. If anyone would like to get in contact with me, I certainly be would love to be of service to anyone that is in your in your orbit. I I love being in your orbit, and so you know I've got I'm on social media. That's the best place to find anything anymore, right? I'm on uh, Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. And so I'm happy to be of service uh, and to bring any of my experiences to bear if it could be a benefit uh, or valued by anyone that is in your your, um, span of influence. Yeah. Well, I will definitely put all of the ways to connect with you and what you offer and how you coach, because I think it's so valuable. And I just, I appreciate you as being a guest today. Annie, thank you. Awesome. Thank you everyone for joining Be The Person podcast. If there's anyone you feel would be uh, influenced by this conversation, please share that with them. And always, I would appreciate a five-star review. Thank you for joining today.